when you form one habit and then and it's really a habit you then start working on the next one the first one's still there but before you know it you are stacking habits and they start to compound in your life so if you can become purposeful about deciding habits that will decide your future everything else is easier or unnecessary Hello and welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast where Lewis and I profile high performers. Today, we have Jeff Woods in the show. Jeff is the co-founder and president of Productive, a company based on systematizing and delivering the teachings of the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazon. In this conversation, Jeff joins us to discuss all of the biggest and best ideas from The One Thing book, most of them relating to how to spend your time versus investing your time, how to block off your time to ensure you're focused on your most important priorities, how to say no to make sure you're focused on your most important priorities, and the habits you should be developing to make sure that you're on track to be where you want to be someday, five years from now, et cetera. We really dive into the nitty gritty details of what this looks like at the advanced level. We also spend some time kind of considering the big picture of what the one thing teaches and how to work it into your life. We also get a live demonstration of how Jeff uses the one thing principles in his family. Uh, It's a work from home type podcast. We have a brief interruption, but you can see that his family understands the principles of the one thing. And that's kind of a a fun thing about 20 minutes in that you'll get to see. But that is all I have to say about this conversation. I hope you enjoy our podcast with Jeff Woods. Jeff, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Real quick, before we dive into the interview, could you just briefly introduce yourself, your company productive, kind of the mission of all of the training and the book and kind of the whole ecosystem you're involved in? Yeah, sure. So my name is Jeff Woods. I'm the president and co-founder of Productive, which is the training company behind the book, The One Thing. So if you've, if you've, if you're not familiar with what The One Thing is, it's one of the highest rated business books of all time. And it's about that time. It's their most valuable resource. But the problem is you guys have experienced this. Most people go through their days spending it, not investing it. And well, I'll just ask you, you ever invested money before? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Kyle, you want to, you want to own real estate. Like you're going to use capital to buy real estate. There's going to be an expectation of something. What do you expect when you make an investment of your money? A return. A return, right? Question number two, what's more valuable time or money? Lewis, what do you think? Definitely time. Okay. So here's, here's the Trump question. How many of us hold our time to the same standards we hold our dollars to? Not enough. Generating a return. Or not all the time. Right. It's, it's super rare. It, it doesn't have happen often. And that's really what this is about. Everything we do from the content we create to the trainings, um, the technology, it's all about how do we help people better invest their time so they achieve extraordinary results. And little history on the book, you guys familiar with Keller Williams, the real estate company? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so G- Gary Keller, who started Keller Williams, this is how, what he used to build KW from a small little company in Austin to number one in a world with... 200,000 people. So it's not just a set of ideas. These are simple truths that Gary actually used that, I mean, he's the titan of the real estate industry. So now we have the opportunity to live those in our personal lives. We have the opportunity to use it in our jobs and our businesses so that we can have a life worth living. That's such an awesome mission. And I have a copy of the book right here. I've annotated it to cover to cover to back. It's kind of one of my more highlighted books. I feel like I need a fresh coffee because I highlighted the whole thing the first time I read it. Uh, it was awesome. first brought to our attention. We interviewed uh, this kid named William Brown, who was on Bigger Pockets for real estate. And he told us the story of how he was in college starting like six startups. Then he read the one thing, closed five of them down, 
just focused on wholesaling real estate, did exceptionally well with that. And yeah. I think I heard kind of- that episode. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like a 20-year-old kid. It was like 750K in assignment fees in 20 months. Is he the it's one like who's like doing tech now, trying to build a tech company? Yeah. Yeah. I want an intro to him. We got you. We'll set y'all up. Cool. Yeah. Cool. We text every couple of weeks. He just cool. reminds me, Lewis, apply the one thing. I'm like, thanks, Will. I needed that advice. Uh, there you that's, go. That, that's a relationship right now, but it's pretty good. So I, my first question for you is kind of based on you on the one thing podcast, share a lot of the ways that you're not just teaching the book, you're a practitioner. And mm-hmm. one story I heard you tell recently that I thought was really interesting is how you teach the 66 day challenge to form a habit. And mm-hmm. you're trying to develop the habit of empathy. And it <laughs> you did all 66 days and it didn't, you don't feel like you fully ingrained it. And then you, you did the challenge. You're in around the time I was listening to it, your fourth go of it. So can you tell us that story, what the 66 day challenge is, why you chose that habit and why you had a cycle sure. through it four times? So we first have to fly up to 10,000 feet. And there's a quote in the one thing from FM Alexander that says, people do not decide their futures. They decide their habits and their habits decide their futures. So we asked the question, how do we decide habits that decide our futures? And what we know is that research from the University of College of London back in 2009 showed it takes on average 66 days to form a habit, which a lot of people think it takes 21 or 30 days. It's double to triple that on average, depending on the complexity of the habit. So we have something called a 66 day challenge where you identify an activity, one activity that if you did it daily and made it a habit would make achieving the goals that you have for yourself so much easier or unnecessary. So based on the goals that you set, what's the habit that you're missing that if you formed it would make achieving the goal easier. For me, I realized I was at a point in my life where I was hitting up against a ceiling of achievement in multiple areas of my life. I was hitting up a ceiling of achievement in my marriage. I was hitting up a ceiling of achievement in the relationship with my kids. I was hitting up a ceiling of achievement in my business as a leader. And I asked the question, what's one habit I can form that would make breaking through of all those ceilings easier or unnecessary? And it really came down to empathy. You know, I'm a, the way I am wired, I'm very, I'm very assertive, I'm very direct, and at times I can be intense. And that served me, and it got to the point that it became a shackle. Warren Buffett said it really well, the habits of our lives are like chains that are too loose to be noticed until they're too tight to be broken. And a lot of people are not purposeful in, de- in forming habits that decide their futures. They form habit by default. And it might like my intensity and my, uh, my aggression served me in sales when I got out of college. It served me in starting this business, but it was too loose to be noticed until all of a sudden it was starting to get really tight. And so I'm going, great. How do I become the type of person who leads with empathy rather than force? And I asked the question, what's the one thing I can do that would make becoming an empathetic person easier or unnecessary? And the answer was just once a day demonstrate empathy when I naturally would not have. Can I just demonstrate empathy once a day? And I did it every day for 66 days. And at the end of 66 days, I looked up and I asked the question, is it a habit? The answer was no. Yes, I had done it every day, but it took a lot of discipline and willpower to continue to do it. It wouldn't have felt weird if the next day I led with force. And so I said, well, this really matters to me, so let's do another one. So I did another 60 days, 66 days, 
And I looked up on day 132 and asked, is it a habit? And the answer was no. And so I did it again. And I looked up on day 198 and asked the question, is it a habit? And went, oh my God, no, what the heck is wrong with me? But that's when I remembered that study from the University of College of London. It said the average is 66 days, but there was a range. The range was anywhere from 18 to 254 days, depending on how complex the habit was. It's like, if you want to stop smoking, it's probably going to take you longer than 66 days. For me, it was taking longer. And, and what happened was it was actually day 218 that it started to feel like a habit. And you fast forward, today is 379. I've been doing it for over a year now. I haven't missed a day. And now it's a habit. I don't have to think about it. In situations that I used to lead with force, I now lead with more empathy. I put myself in the other person's shoes. I ask more questions. I genuinely build a sense of um, connection in the relationship before I go to more of a coaching accountability type conversation. And it's almost, and it's almost automatic now. What was your bar for success on each day? Like through the, that first 66 days, yeah. how do you know at the end of the day, whether or not you failed at being empathetic? Because there's so many different opportunities for you to, to lead with force or lead with empathy. It's like, is it just one time? You just have it was to just one time. Just can uh, I once a day demonstrate empathy when I naturally would not have. And I mean, I got little kids, so you guys don't have kids yet, but mm -hmm. trust me, your, your patience is tested all the time. So I had no shortage of opportunities. And it was so clear for me when I'll use an example, like my four-year-old son, if he would scream at me and like, I would feel my blood start to boil and feel me get all fired up. And I would take a breath and go, buddy, how are you feeling right now? Like, instead of doing, you don't talk to me that way, I would go, how are you feeling right now? And he'd say, I'm, he'd go, I'm frustrated. <laughs> so he doesn't even speak. He doesn't speak super clearly yet, right? And then we would have a conversation. Buddy, do you need a hug? Yeah, we'd have a big hug. And then I'd say, dude, I'm your dad. You can't talk to me that way. I understand you're frustrated. Next time, can you say this instead? All right, give me a high five. Now get in the freaking shower. <laughs> It's, it's maintaining that connection and moving forward. So instead of being on opposite sides battling, being able to, to step beside them and lock arms shoulder to shoulder and be like, let's look at the problem together. Let's move forward together. Yeah, I think that'll have far reaching impacts on you and also your, your kids. And Dude, that the 370 days will be- Transformed my relationship with my themselves. kids. It shifted my relationship with my wife, dramatically changed how I lead the people in my organization. Like it's, I was clear last year, that was my one thing. If I could just become more of an empathetic person, I knew everything else would be easier or necessary. That's great. Well, I know that you are in the business of time and in the business of helping people realize their time and to invest it. But one thing that I'm wondering is like, after you, you put these, these tools into practice and you, you get you know, a block of time that is devoted to your kids or your family, your friends, how do you stay present in that moment in order to uh, like fully take advantage of the, the gift of time that you've been able to give to yourself? It's a great question. It's a constant battle. So I'll acknowledge that first and foremost. And let me just clarify. Are you saying like when I'm clear that, hey, right, right now I should be doing 
this priority or I should be have, being present with my wife or being present with my kids. Like how do you actually stay present and not be focusing on everything else? Yes. Yeah. It's a few things. One, being clear about what you're saying yes to. Steve Jobs is a phenomenal example of this. When he stepped back in as CEO of Apple from 1997 to 1999, he took the company from 350 active projects down to 10. He literally shut down 340 initiatives that were up and running, let alone saying no to all the other new opportunities that popped up. But by narrowing that focus, Apple went on to become one of the most valuable companies in the world. And oftentimes when we struggle to be present, it's because we're not really clear about what matters most in that moment. Like right now, I am so clear that my one thing right now is this conversation. As a result, my email is shut down, meaning not minimized. I mean, shut down. I can't hear an email notification, even if emails were flying in. My cell phone is on do not disturb. My family knows right now, daddy's on an interview. Don't, don't disturb his time block. So I'm just clear that for the time that we're together right now, this is what I'm saying yes to. And the moment that we're off, I'm super clear. The next thing I'm saying yes to is a proposal that I have to do for our company tomorrow. Like I'm just clear in that moment, this is the one thing that matters most. So part of it is, are you really clear of all the stuff you could be doing right now? If you can only do one thing right now, which you only get to do one thing at a time, what matters most? And when you're clear about that, suddenly saying no to the other things becomes a lot easier. So that's, that's, that comes down to clarity and prioritization. The second thing for me, and this is where I say it's, it's a struggle, is more the inner game. That's mental focus. So after day 218, when I realized empathy was a habit, I realized there was still about 80 days left in the calendar year. And I went, oh, smokes. I've got time to form another habit this year. And so I asked, what's the one habit I could form that would make the biggest impact in my life? And it was meditation. I had done it before and it had become a part of my life, but then it, it fell off. And now I'm so much more clear about where, because I didn't have the mental focus and presence where it was limiting me. And so I did a 66 day challenge there all along the while, by the way, continuing to demonstrate empathy every day. Cause now it's a habit, but now I was waking up and making sure that I was meditating every morning. And today is day 97 in a row. And what's your practice for meditation? I downloaded Headspace. So I've, I use that app because I like guided meditation because it, it, it shepherds you on the journey. And I've gone through several of their courses. And I also have an audio recording. Um, I work with a company out of India. And one of the senior executives there has been meditating for like 35 years. And he's like, oh yeah, I can will anything I want into existence. And I was like, <laughs> so he's my guru. So he, he did this, he, he recorded this thing that I listened to that I'm going on a journey to see like, how much more can I leverage my mind to will the things I want into existence? That was an awesome answer to, to Kyle's question about being present. It's kind of the, the one-two punch there. And I think an especially important detail from your first answer or like part one of that answer was not just being clear yourself, but communicating that clarity to other people. Uh, because even if you know, okay, right now I'm solely focused on this, the worry of distraction or like of interruption is a huge distractor. And if you know people know to respect your time blocks as well, then that clarity becomes magnified and you can actually focus. Well, let's come back to habits. Decide your habits, decide your futures. 
I recognized in my first year of starting this business that I had unintentionally formed habits that were becoming shackles. The habit of always having my email open, the habit of having notifications enabled on my devices, the habit of saying yes when somebody asks, hey, do you got a minute? And so I just put a, sim a system in place. When I'm about to go into a time block, a time that I've reserved with myself to do whatever I deem to be most important in that moment, I acknowledge that now for the next 30 minutes or one hour is not the time to be responsive to email. Anything that's in my inbox can wait for the next hour. I promise the sun will still be shining. So I actually shut my email down, not minimize, hard shutdown. My phone, I disable notifications. I don't wanna see the little red bubble that tells me how many messages I've missed. I want to go in there because I want to go in there, not because it says I have 1,100 emails that have been unanswered. And I did something really crazy with my phone. You ready for this? Like if you guys open your phones right now, are, is your email icon on the main screen? I don't do email on my phone. Dude, I love you. This <laughs> is really good with his- My with phone's his not even in the room. Most people, like their email icon is front and center. They see the little red bubble with all this stuff. I, not only did I remove the red bubble, I moved the email icon to my second screen. And I actually have to swipe right to make a conscious decision to even see the email icon. It's like, it's little things like, can I form the habit of shutting down email? And one-time things, can I just disable notifications? Can I, when a new app says, hey, will you enable notifications? Nope. Can I move those into a folder so that I, it's, there's a little bit of resistance? Because all I had to do was do that once and it served me for five years. I completely agree with that. And then the, the flywheel kind of accumulates when you've made a ton of those small 1% improvements and they compound on each other. You're just in a remarkably different position after not too long after. There you go. You got it. So I have, I have another question for you, kind of still in the discussion of habits. This is one of the most interesting uh, parts of the book is the focusing question and the habit of asking mm. it on a daily basis. Do you, do you personally ask the focusing question on a daily basis? Is my question. Let's talk about what the focusing question is. And then we'll talk about yes. how I use it. The focusing question is this is, this is a very simple question. The mistake is to let its simplicity undermine its significance. Because if you formed the habit of asking this question, question every day, my partners would submit to you that that is the success habit. In fact, that was almost the title of the book, the success habit, but they went with the one thing instead. It worked out well. Here's the question. What's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary? So if you think of it like dominoes, best way to knock them all down is you stand them up, you line them up and you whack away at the first one first. So what's the one thing, not the two things, not the three things, not everything. You only get to pick one and it's gotta be one thing I can do. It's a two inch domino, like effortlessly, you can knock it down. You can do it. It's not, I feel like I should be able to do it. I'll feel guilty if I don't do it. It's gotta be almost effortless to do it. One thing I can do such that by doing it, because the dominoes are lined up, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary. So it's a simple question, but like if I actually say, great, for your physical fitness, what's the one thing you can do such that by doing it, everything else with your health would be easier or unnecessary? I'm torn between Most sleep and probably, diet, but- well, You, you came up with an answer. Most people went, I don't know, <laughs> right? 
when it comes to your spirituality, what's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would make having a relationship with God easier or unnecessary? When it comes to your finances, what's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would make building wealth easier or unnecessary? You can aim it at any area of your life. And the opportunity is to search for the answer, search past that wall of, I don't know, and come up with an answer. And if it's still too big, which almost always it is, you just ask the question again, well, what's the one thing I can do that would make doing that easier until you get to a lead domino? So that's, that's what the focusing question is. Do I do it every day? I used to. I used to. But what you're going to realize on this journey is that waking up every day with a clean slate and asking that question is extremely taxing. Like mentally, it's taxing because you don't know the answer. You say to yourself, I don't know. And then you have to search and come up with the answer. And that's where we actually have models and systems that give you clarity on your one thing every day. So I actually only have to do this once a week. I use a tool called a 411. And 411 stands for the relevant information or truth. It, it's a really systematic way to take those big goals that you have for your year and understand what is your one thing each of the four weeks of that ladder up to your month, that ladder up to your year. Four weeks, one month, one year. So every Friday morning, I update my 411. I get clarity on the priorities I need to accomplish this coming week that put me on track for my goals for the month, that put me on track for the goals for the year. And then I open up my calendar and I block time for the things on my 411. That way, when I show up for the day, it's already on my calendar and my calendar drives what I do during the day. This is, I need to point this out. This is not how most people behave. Most people, how they plan their time is they open their digital calendar sometime between the end of the week and the beginning of the next week. They see all the stuff that's scheduled. Then they go to their email. And if there is a request for their time, they immediately go to their calendar. And if there's a blank space, they say yes. They treat everything like it matters equally. And as a result, they spend their time being busy and questioning if they got anything done. Mine is different. I don't look at my digital calendar to start. I want to get clarity on what my priorities are first. I want to get clarity on what I should be saying yes to first. Then I place those boulders in the stream so that when the water hits it, it goes around it. I have standing time blocks on my calendar for whatever I deem to be most important. I place those in those blocks. Everybody else has to move around those. Mm. And if somebody requests my time during a time block, I have a rule. I have to push back once. Sorry, I've got a commitment at that time. Can we do another time? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm unavailable this week. Can we look to next week? And very rarely do they say no. And if they do say, sorry, we actually need to meet at this time, great. Now I get to ask the question, what's more important? Am I going to choose to act out of priority because it's better politically? Or am I going to push back and say, sorry, find another solution? Mm-hmm. But let's be clear. It's my time and I choose to invest it and not spend it. That takes a lot of understanding of the importance of your time in order to be able to say that to somebody. And I think that having that like in the future, one of the, one of the things that I like is the question, what if this was on Tuesday? Like what, what if I, this podcast that I got invited on was on Tuesday? Would I want to do it? And if it was on Tuesday. You're saying guys, if it like, you get invited to something six weeks out and you're like, I don't know if I want to do this. So it's like, well, if this is, or you say yes, but if it was tomorrow, you'd say no. And right. the, the, yeah. 
because you're available and we're going to get super advanced. We're going to get super advanced right now. So I want to set the expectation that it doesn't, I don't expect everybody to listen to this episode and walk out and do this immediately. So you want to talk about the real world. Meet, Daddy, meet Daphne. The brown chairs are here. I know. Hey, Daddy's doing a podcast interview. You want to tell him what your one thing is? You want to tell him what your one thing is? I can't. Tell him what your one thing is. To respect Daddy's time block. To respect <laughs> Daddy's time block. That's right. All right. Daddy's doing his one thing right now. I'll talk to you in about 15 no, minutes. No, for real. 15 minutes. Love you. That just happened for real. So let's talk. Let's unpack that real quick. Daphne, will you shut both of my doors, please? Thanks. This is the world we're living in right now. Working from home. I got kids running around. I have set an expectation that there will be time that my kids come into my office and I'll be available and I'll hang out with them. And then there are going to be select times when I am doing my one thing. And if I say, I'm doing my one thing, can you help protect my time block? That means I need you to leave the room. I have enlisted that support and set that expectation to the point that when she just walked in, she got that. So she understands that. Does that make sense? So let's go back to your question. You were asking about you get invited to that podcast later in the month and because you're available, you say yes. This is where we're getting really advanced, but I've created a model for my time. And what I mean by that is I took a blank sheet of paper and I drew out, you know, just a calendar week, seven days of the week. And I asked the question, what are the major things that I'm gonna to need to do every week that really matter, those 20% priorities that I've gotta have time blocked for. And I can tell you it's, it's holding 411 meetings with my team so that they're clear on their priorities. I know I've gotta have time blocked for me to lead generate because I'm in charge of driving growth for the business. I know I need time blocked for me to be an ambassador of the brand, i.e. this show. I need time blocked for vision and I need time blocked for planning. Like I can identify those handful of things. And I've asked the question, when should I do those things? And I literally just drew out, hey, Monday mornings is going to be 411 time. Friday mornings is going to be planning time. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, first thing in the morning is vision slash thinking time. Then I go into lead generation and I handed that to my executive assistant who I pay to own my calendar and said, follow this model and protect it. That way, when podcast interviews come in, I told Andrea, I will say yes to those on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoons. What day are we talking? Tuesday. Are we talking in the morning or the afternoon? It is the afternoon. Did Andrea push back on you guys at all around scheduling? I think she, I mean, we she have... emailed to confirm something. Okay. Right. Yeah, we did this one far out, so it she, worked. She did tell but... us that she was in the business of protecting your time, though. So I, I think ah! she got the message. And let me just be clear. Most of the people who are listening to this do not have an executive assistant. So you can do this for yourself. And if you are good at staying in your 20%, the question is how can you generate the income to then start affording yourself leverage, which it doesn't have to be a full-time employee. I remember hearing, I think I was reading the four hour work week and he basically said, you know, millionaires have assistants and with virtual assistants, you can, you can get one for, for on the cheap. That day I found a VA in the Philippines for five bucks an hour. He's been with me for seven years. Wow. That's awesome. So one concept that that Lewis and I (laughs) like to think about is, you know, we're 21 year old college students and we've got a lot of time ahead of us. Presumably the concept time billionaire is something that we like to like to throw around where we've got a lot of time for our habits to compound on themselves (laughs) into something great. So my question for you is what are the lead dominoes 
that you think that we should be knocking down in order to be able to leverage that time billionaire status that we have? Well, first thing I'm going to point out, because I, if you, have you listened to the podcast I did with Gary Keller on habits? I have not. So go, go to the one thing podcast. It's a relatively, it's toward the top. I did a two part series with Gary, which Gary actually is a billionaire. And part two, we talked about habits and he started this journey. I want to say when he was about 25 or 26. So he was asking these questions right around your age, but a little bit later, which means you're ahead of the curve. And the, the most powerful habit he has formed is the habit of forming habits. At, at my advice to you, and this is what I learned from Gary, is don't just go through your days by default. Go through them by design. Kyle, if you want to be a real estate investor and you want to own 16,000 doors by the time you're 35, you have to ask the question, what are the habits that you're going to need to form that would make you that epic of an investor? Well, it's one's going to become down to knowing how to analyze a deal. Another's going to come down to deal flow, have, being in the flow of good deals. Third is going to be around relationships with other people. Like you could start really thinking, like, what are all the things that are going to be required for that? And asking, what are the habits I need to form? And then start by asking, great, if I only get to form one habit at a time, what's number one? And start going down that road and solidify it. Then earn the right to start forming the next one. Then earn the right to start forming the next one. Then earn the right to start forming the next one. And we call it habit stacking. When you form one habit and then, and it's really a habit, you then start working on the next one. The first one's still there, but before you know it, you are stacking habits and they start to compound in your life. So if you can become purposeful about deciding habits that will decide your future, everything else is easier or unnecessary. I think that's such a great answer. The, the meta habit. And I was listening to not the habits episode, the how to form billionaires. I saw it in the feed, but I chose the, the BJ Fogg one instead yeah. uh, when I was doing my research and that one, just about the small habits and it's all consistent. But what, one question I have for you. So Kyle has that clear visioning. I kind of struggle with getting lost in that sea of unknown. So the, the kind of the prerequisite to your answer to Kyle's question was having that end destination and the clarity, yeah. but and trying to set aside time for myself to do visioning, especially being closer to graduation. That's, that's a problem I run into. So how yeah. do you kind of give that advice? So same kind of time billionaire status, but with less clarity about that. Sure. Your goal well, without, you're, yeah. Louis, you represent everybody. Um, Kyle <laughs> represents Kyle. somebody who thinks he knows what he wants. And so I actually, I, I want to talk to you about that. Yeah. Actually. I, cause when I was in medical device sales, which is what I did before this, uh, my income got slashed by 40%. My colleague had a stroke and I realized I needed to do something different. And I thought I wanted to become a professional real estate investor. So I started learning how to syndicate deals. I started investing in masterminds. I started to actually do due diligence on deals, trying to get in the flow of deals, trying to raise money. And by doing those activities, I figured out I wanted I will always invest in real estate. I own properties today. I don't want that to be my profession. And then I was really going, well, crap, what the heck do I really want to do now? I have no flipping clue. So Lewis, now we're to where you are. <laughs> I asked, what's one thing I can do? And this is before I read the one thing. What's one thing I can do that would hopefully bring me closer to clarity on that? And my answer was, I just need to start forming relationship with successful people and learn about how they did what they did. And I started getting into the room with successful people. And then 
I started forming relationships with them. Then somebody suggested I start a podcast just to record my conversations I was having with my mentors. I called it the mentee. Then Jay Papazian, who co-authored The One Thing, was at our national sales meeting and I offered to interview him for our show. Then we formed a relationship. Fast forward, he, Gary, and I co-founded a company that changes the way people view time. I had no idea that this is what I was going to do. I couldn't tell you that this was my, my calling or my destiny. But what I knew, something in my heart said, if I, if I can just start getting in relationship with people who are further along the path and seek guidance, if I can hunt mentors, everything else will be easier or unnecessary. And it worked out. So to put it on a bumper sticker, start taking the actions that you think will bring you closer to clarity. Now, let me get tactical. Every year we facilitate a goal setting retreat. And when we facilitate a goal setting retreat, we do not ask people, what are your goals for this year first? That's not where you start. We ask people, what are their goals someday from now? Where do you guys want to be in 20 to 50 years? And immediately you're going to go, I don't know. <laughs> Great. Well, what I can do is I can show you the seven circles of your life, like your spirituality or your physical health, your personal life, your key relationships, your job, your business, your finances. I can ask both of you, what does extraordinary finances look like someday from now? And you guys decide what someday is. You might say that's 20 years. So what does extraordinary wealth look like someday from now? And both of you can come up with an answer for that. One Bitcoin. One Bitcoin, great. Well, <laughs> based on that, where would you need to be in the next five years to feel like you were on track for your someday? And based on that five-year vision, you can ask, great, well, now what do I need to do this year? The difference is most people go, what am I going to do this year? And they say yes to whatever is shiny and attractive versus saying, what does extraordinary look like someday from now in key areas of my life? And once I have a sense of that direction, it's not crystal clarity, but once it's directionally correct, I can reverse engineer to a five-year vision and I can reverse engineer that to a goal I need to set this year, which I can then reverse engineer to what the heck I have to do this month, which I can reverse engineer to what I need to do this week. And then I open my calendar and I freaking block time for it. Yeah, I think, and what I was going to say is like having, you said that I'm someone who, rep or I represent someone who thinks I know what I want. Mm -hmm. And I agree. But I think that having something to say and, and believing it, and you know, it's true, it's authentic. I think that there's definitely a chance that it'll change. But I, it's opened doors for me that would not be open otherwise if I didn't have that statement that this is what I want to yeah. do. You know, and you, I think you that might find out that. You want to, like me, you want to invest in real estate as a vehicle, as part of your portfolio, but you don't want it to be your profession. Cool. Mm -hmm. But you, you've at least picked a direction and you're starting to swim. What most people do is they live their life as though they just woke up and they are treading water in the middle of the ocean. And they look all around and they can't see land anywhere in sight. So... They either just sit there and do nothing and tread, which what eventually will happen, They'll drown. they drown. Or they might like swim five feet in this direction and then go, no, let's go this direction. No, let's go in this direction. No, let's go. And they're going to drown too. Versus saying to the best of my ability, I believe this is the direction I need to go. And they go there with all their focus and all their might until there's evidence that shows them that they should now correct course. You're at least picking a direction. Now the question is, how are you moving toward it and being open to the fact that maybe it's not accurate, but at least you've picked a direction and 
evidence will tell you where you need to go. Right. I think, I think picking a direction is very important. That's like the, the main piece of advice that I give to kids entering college that are younger than yeah. me is that like, no matter what your answer to what do you want to do or what are you doing shouldn't be, I don't know, or nothing. Like it's just, it opens a world of opportunity that otherwise wouldn't be there. I'll give both of you the advice that I got from a mentor when I was about to graduate college. And it was so helpful. I was asking him what I should do professionally after I was interning with him. He said, I can't afford to keep you. But he said, he asked me, he said, what are, you don't know what the heck you're going to do for a career. You're way too young. Average person switches careers. I don't even know how many times, but he asked me the question, what are the skills that you can start to form that will serve you no matter what industry you end up in? And there was a few that stood out. One was sales for me. I have that personality. I'm good at it. I like it. He's like, if you can sell, you can run a company because revenue cures all problems for a period of time. And the second thing was, and this is how I decided what to study in college, I studied accounting. One, I was actually interested in it, but two, an understanding of money would serve me no matter what. Let's fast forward. The reason I got this job, the reason that Gary and Jay picked me as the one person to represent the one thing, they were looking for somebody that had three specific things a strong sales background, a strong finance background, who knew how to turn content into dollars. I had a strong sales background. I had a strong finance background and I had started the mentee and turned that into a hundred thousand dollar a year business in less than 12 months. Rest is history. Serendipitous. Is it? No. I don't know. I, I, I believe there is some luck, some serendipity to it. And I also believe that I put myself in the position to capitalize on the luck that I had been afforded. I think that specific set of circumstances is serendipity, but that an opportunity of that caliber fell in your lap and you executed on it was more probabilistic. I had mentors in my life and I listened to their guidance. I went and got great sales training. I studied accounting. And, you know, when people suggest I start a podcast, I do it. (laughs) Like I took action. Well, I think this, uh, I know we're running up on uh, your time block you'd set aside for this interview. And I was going to just quickly add to what Kyle has said. Uh, his piece of advice is clarity on your answer to that question. My piece of advice might just be to, to pick up the one thing and start listening to the podcast as a freshman. So if people want to kind of learn more about the ecosystem or find the book, yeah. listen to your show, where should we be sending well, them? Well, first thing, easiest thing you can do, you're already listening to a podcast. So whatever player you're listening to it on, just search the one thing, the O-N-E-T-H-I-N-G, three words, the one thing. The website is with the number one. It's not spelled out. So it's the, then number one, the one thing.com. And on the site, you can learn about other types of content we create, the trainings that we do, all that jazz. Oh, great. Thank you so much, Jeff. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Thanks. And that wraps up our conversation with Jeff. I thought it was really, really cool. Uh, Just three takeaways from me. The first one of which is... um, He lives the one thing. And that is really obvious in that moment that Lewis briefly mentioned in the introduction when his daughter walks in and and she clearly understands that he's doing his one thing. And I just think that it's a really like a beautiful visualization that he is not only like starting this company and talking about it all the time and has a million books around his house, you know, like 
he is actually doing it and that just makes me really happy uh to see that he's got skin in the game and and believes in this product that it's actually helping him and he knows that can help other people uh the next for me is just the framework of invest investing versus spending your time um you know i think everybody knows that inherently but when you um think about it it's, it's really very profound and something that i've been thinking about recently since we had this podcast is how you know, most things to me are investing your time if you're doing it with other people. Uh, you can only really spend your time if you're, well, you know, I'm working on it. But if you're watching Netflix alone or you're, you're doing something alone that's not productive, you're definitely spending that time and, and wasting it in ways that it wouldn't be true if you were doing it with a friend and creating some sort of lasting memory or, or vernacular with that person. Um, and then my last thing is just how he, you know, made, made luck happen for himself with Gary and Jay. Gary Keller is a billionaire real estate, um, mogul. I mean, he started one of the largest real estate brokerages in the entire world. He's done all of these incredible things when uh, Jay Papazan has been along for the ride with him, but you know, he <clears throat> went to them and, and asked them what he could do for them over and over and over again until he provided enough value where they felt comfortable to start this company with him. And I think that it just uh, speaks to, you know, what he learned through the mentee podcast, which was, you know, you got to be a self-starter. You've got to make it happen on your own. Sort of that third door mentality that we like to, we like to talk about, but those are my takeaways. I thought it was a really, really cool conversation. what do you think, Lewis? I definitely liked all of yours just to not jump right into mine without any commentary. I thought those were a one insightful, and beneficial and I enjoyed them. But my takeaways, I first and foremost want to say I've almost finished my second pass through the book since the conversation. First time since the conversation, second overall. It's such a good book. Y'all just got to read the book. Like this interview is great. If you're listening to our takeaways, you assume the one thing's great. If you made it this far and don't read the book, you've really missed the bigger picture here. So read the, the book. I've really enjoyed rereading it after this podcast, after re-listening to it. It is a solid book. Uh, additional takeaways, I think his idea of habits on average versus habits at once uh, is really interesting. There's a Taleb idea that Taleb likes to talk about where, you know, don't try to cross a river that's on average six feet deep because it could be in one spot, a hundred feet deep and everywhere else extremely shallow. But if you cross that one spot, you're going to fall to your death. And that's kind of applied that same bias to habits. So the book says without a ton of detail that habits on average take 66 days to complete, but the study they cite says it can take anywhere from one to 200 something. So when Jeff realized that he went through a challenge to try to teach himself to be more empathetic and after 66 days didn't reach the check, like didn't feel like he had a fully ingrained it as a habit, he recognized that on average is not the same as every single instance, because an average is always comprised of all of the different things involved. And I think that that can be really helpful for anyone trying to build a habit to not get discouraged by the fact that some habits take 21 days, 30 days, 66 days, some take a full year, some take a full year. So you just got to keep that in mind. And that helps keep your mindset in a better place. Uh, and then my third takeaway is as well, what you said about his family and it's communicating uh, and teaching other people your systems. Uh, I've said this a bunch of times that what's more important than being constantly accessible is just being clear about when you're accessible. So, you know, Chick-fil-A closed on Sundays. We know not to go to Chick-fil-A on Sundays. Jeff, when he's doing his one thing, 
He's like Chick-fil-A, no, no service. Uh, and his family understands that. So I like to get my stuff done with my phone completely off and all of my friends and people who would call me, I usually tell them, you know, my phone's going off. I won't be accessible until tomorrow. They have my contact information for one of my roommates and they can find me if it's an absolute emergency. But outside of that, it's not. They don't feel a need to know where I'm at 24 seven. If I'm clear about why I'm not on, why I'm not accessible when I'm unaccessible. So those are my three takeaways. Uh, I guess one additional one is just the habit of forming habits. That was such a great lesson. I've really enjoyed incorporating that final question into these interviews, seeing what people's like, we talked about a lot of stuff, but do you have one piece of advice? Just, and it usually leads to them sharing something off default. And if it means that, it means it's they've put thought into, this is my one best piece of advice. And we've kind of been two for two on winning answers to that question. Uh, from Dickie talking about the forcing function, the importance of accountability. If you want to get something done, if you know what your one thing is, you should tell other people and commit that I'm going to do XYZ activities in support of my one thing to ensure that you actually spend the proper amount of time and don't, you know, give up on it after a week, after two weeks. Because like we said, it takes a long time to achieve extraordinary results. Uh, and then Jeff's advice about the habit of forming habits, uh, which is really reassuring for Kyle and I, because we've spent a lot of time thinking about building habits with the 75 hard we talked about and a bunch of other related episodes. But that is all I have to say about this conversation. I hope that you enjoyed it. My calls to action for you is if you liked this podcast, you got to read the book. The one thing it's on Amazon, it's on Audible. There's probably some reason on YouTube and Blinkist and all those other places. Check it out. It's really, really good book. My other call to action, if you enjoyed this conversation, most of our podcasts are fairly similar to it in the sense that similar pacing conversations, similar types of topics, similar types of conversations. Scroll down in our feed, listen to our recent episodes. The one with Dickie Bush about writing every single day. That one was awesome. The one with David Oakley, number 49, about commercial real estate. That one was awesome. Uh, multifamily real estate, gotta, gotta get that right. Our one with Danny Miranda, talking about what we've all learned from doing 50 episodes. Also a banger. And uh, John Sherwin, number 51, about hydrants. That one, also a fun conversation. I had them written down, so I got them. That is all I have for you this week. If you enjoyed this, please leave a rating or review. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.